want to ask you, if you have not yet, to open your Bible to the book of John and there to the sixth chapter of John. We spent significant amount of time last week in this chapter looking at a series of statements and we're not going to review all of those statements at this time. However, I am going to just back up for a moment and read, and you can follow along with me, the um, introduction once more. Because this introduction, and we spent time last week looking at each of the places, the verses in John, that drew that this introduction was drawn from. I want to read through this introduction, and then we're going to move right into the first of a series of many questions pertaining to our study in the sixth chapter of John. From John 6, it is evident that the Father intended to save some people for Himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation of the world. In eternity past, He gave these to Christ. In time, He sent Christ to give His life for them. Christ came and did the will of the Father by giving His flesh, that is, death on the cross, um, so that those whom the Father brings to Him will possess eternal life and will be resurrected. All those whom the Father gives to Christ will come to Christ, and no one can come to Christ unless it is granted them from the Father to come to Christ. Therefore, only those the Father gives to Christ come to Christ. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, gives them life and they, that they may believe in Christ. It is against the reason of this chapter that God, in giving the true bread in the death of Christ, intended to give that bread for everyone but those He had given to Christ brings to Christ, teaches, and grants to come to Christ. It would have been against the will of God for Christ to have died for anyone, but those for whom God intended He die for, and against the will of God for the Spirit to give life to anyone but those for whom God intended to give life. Now we're going to fast forward to our time this evening. And we're going to look at the first question this evening. Simple question. It's a question as you read through these verses that should become evident. And uh, I want to reiterate to you that many of the verses that we're looking at, we'll see multiple times. And the reason is because the... One verse may be covering multiple truths. It may be a verse that answers multiple questions. So we'll be coming, it'll be somewhat repetitious. But if you read through this chapter consistently, you will see that the chapter itself is very um, repetitious. Um, so again, as we look through this, we'll be asking various questions and then looking specifically to the verses for the answer. The first question is, who gives the true bread out of heaven? As you look through the text, these verses 
are explicit. Start with me at the first one, John chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. And I've underlined the answers to the question. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So who is it? It is my Father. It is the Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Notice it is called the bread of whom? God. And it comes from heaven. Another verse with reference to this same thing is verse 57. And you'll notice at the top of these slides, I put the same question there, but continued from the previous one. Who gives the true bread out of heaven? As the living Father sent me. Christ identifies Himself in this chapter as the bread that came down from heaven. And He says here that the Father sent Him. Christ, who is the true bread of life, came down from heaven. And throughout this conversation, Jesus stresses this fact, that He came from heaven. You can see it in verse 33, and I don't have these listed. Take a look at it, though, with me in the, your Bibles. Verse 33, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. The bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. Take a look at verse 32. You can see it there as well. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who has given you the true bread out of heaven. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. You begin to see the repetition here. Listen, whenever God repeats something, there's a reason for it, isn't there? One of the reasons is because we need to get it. The true bread that brings true life comes from me? No. Comes from a church? No. Comes from a religious organization? No. It comes from God. It comes from heaven. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Why is it that people want to say you have to be this or that? No. The true life comes from heaven. The true bread is in that life, uh, is, comes from heaven, and that is the source of our life. Look at verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They repeated it. You can see again in verse 42. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Take a look at verse 51. 
I am the living bread, what? That came down out of heaven. Verse 58, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Take a look at verse 62. When, what then, if you see the Son of Man ascending, notice this, to where he was before. Where was he before? Heaven. He's implying, obviously, here he came from heaven. We know he ascended up to heaven, and he is going back. Listen. The source of the bread isn't in the flesh. It isn't in our ability to keep the law. It came from heaven. Not man, not an institution of man. It's come to us in Christ who came from heaven. Second question. This is a very important question. And we ask it about this bread that the Father gives. Is the bread the Father gives effectual? Is the bread the Father gives effectual? Now, whenever we're asking that, what we're asking basically is, does this bread that the Father's given us, who is, as we know, Jesus Christ, is His death on the cross effectual with regard to giving eternal life? Has He propitiated God? Has He satisfied the wrath of God in His death? Take a look at the text. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of the world, and notice what it does. What does Jesus say the bread does? It gives life to the world, right? The bread that is His body, His death on the cross, it gives life to the world. He said in verses 48-51, through 51, I am the bread of life. By the way, what did He call Himself? Bread of what? Life. He didn't say bread of possible life. Bread of potential life. Or he didn't say, I am potentially the bread of life, right? In other words, if only you would believe, I am potentially the bread of life. Is that what Christ said? No. He said, I am the bread of life. Life comes from me, according to Christ. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Is my flesh. He's the bread of life. Whenever Christ died on the cross, we could ask it this way. 
Did he really atone for sin in his death and thereby satisfy God? Or is that up to the one who believes? Now, whenever we look further on in our study at verses 48 through 51, we'll understand those phrases, may eat of it and not die, and uh, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. But for now, recognize that the source of life is in the bread. We could ask the question this way, does the bread from God actually give life or does it simply make eternal life available? Does it give life or only make it available? Did Jesus actually secure redemption or only make redemption possible or potential? We could say it this way. Was the cross effective? Well, whenever you look here at John 6, the text tells us clearly that the bread gives life to the world. It gives life to the world. Other texts of Scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And in the text, look down to verse 3 with me. Referring to Jesus Christ, the text says, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He, and notice this, had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did Jesus do? He made purification of sins. Move from here to chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and down to verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, that is His life, on the cross, He entered the holy place once for all, notice this, having obtained eternal redemption. The Bible is conveying to us the fact that Jesus accomplished something on the cross. He actually secured salvation. Move from here to 1 John with me. Chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 2 and verse 2. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. In other words, He is the one who satisfied the wrath of God. 
He has done that. He So much so is God's wrath satisfied in Christ that Jesus is the satisfaction of God's wrath in Christ, in Himself. Chapter 4 of the same text, same epistle, verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look with me over to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins, how? By His blood. Right? That's a reference to His death. Whenever you look back at John chapter 19, verse 30, the last words of Christ on the cross, translated in our versions, it is finished. It's finished. Does that mean it's finished? Or does that mean there's something else that we have to do to secure eternal redemption? Some people might say we must believe. Well, we're talking about securing eternal redemption. We're not ta talking about the application of it right now. We're talking about what has secured it. And what secures it is the death of Christ on the cross. Christ's death is effectual. He atoned for the sins of His people when He died. He brought them in that instance into a relationship with God whereby God could have mercy on them because of His death. Oftentimes you'll hear people today say things like, well, I believe in uh, uh, the five points of Calvinism. Or they'll say, I believe in the four points. And they will argue about what is referred to as the fifth one, the limited atonement uh, or unlimited atonement. Uh, in their case, whenever they argue with it. And the fact of the matter is, is Christ, when He died on the cross, did atone for the sins of those for whom He died. He brought them in that instance to a place where their sins, because of His death, were atoned for. The believers in the New Testament understood that. As a matter of fact, let me give you a text that you're familiar with, and you can turn there in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look down to verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18. The atoning work of Christ and the fact that it is limited to those for whom He died is communicated all throughout the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. It is really an explicit teaching. Notice 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross. That word translated preaching can be the message of the cross, the teaching of the cross. In particular, it is translated 
in the New American Standard Version, the word of the cross. The word of the cross. Notice what it is. The word of what? The cross. What happened on the cross? Christ died on the cross. That word, that message to the lost is foolishness. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But notice the next phrase. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where does the power of God in this verse rest? It rests in the cross, in the message of Christ's death. Not in a person believing. They're not securing their own salvation. They're applying what God has done in Christ, but Christ secured salvation, and He did so on the cross for His people. His death was not potential insofar as His goal is concerned. It was effective. He accomplished what He set out to do. He set out to die for His people, and in that death, atone for their sins, and that's exactly what He did. This next question, how does God give this bread? Well, this one we've really already answered, but we'll look at it again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He gives us the bread, which gives us life, in Christ. He is the bread of life. As he said in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now someone might say, well, that's overly simple. Well, I will say it is very simple. It's not simplistic, but it is simple. And since it's so simple, I think we need to ask the question, why in the world do people want to add to it. Roman Catholicism adds the sacraments to it. If you believe in Christ and do these things, they ignore the simplicity of it. The bread is Christ. Life comes from Him, right? Not through the sacraments. Others believe that salvation is by works. You've got to keep the law in order to be saved. Or you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. As some of the Pharisees who had believed, according to Acts chapter 15, were saying there in Paul's day, if you're going to be saved, you need to be circumcised. Notice the text again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Life is in Christ, isn't it? It's not in the works. It's not in the sacrament. It's not in the church. It's not in a religious establishment. 
Life is in Christ. He is the bread of life. Take a look over in your Bibles with me. It couldn't be made more clear than again in 1 John. And look there with me to chapter 5 for a moment. Verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. Where is this life that He's given to us? 1 John 5.11 And this life is in His Son. Isn't that what Jesus is saying back over here in John 6? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And in verse 48, He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. For the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 1 John 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Right? If you possess the Son, you possess eternal life. The life is in Him. It's not in Him and something else. It's in Christ alone. Jesus said, a text we're very familiar with, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's look at the fourth question, which again is very similar to this one. To whom do they come? Well, again, a repetition of the previous question in a sense. Notice what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me, notice this, will come to me. Will come to me. Verse 44. No one can come to me. No one can come to me. And here, obviously, he's going on. He says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. But again, to whom do they come? They come to Christ. You want life? You have to come to Christ. Because why? The life is in the Son. If you come to your works, you don't have life. If you come and become uh, a church member and you partake of the Lord's Supper and on and on and on, and you think that that will give you life, you're going to be dead just like they died in the wilderness. The life is in the Son. To whom did they come? Again, verse 45. For it is written the prophets, and they shall be taught of God everyone who has heard and learned from the Father does what? Comes to me. It is really simple, isn't it? It, this is consistent all through Scripture. Life is in the Son. Jesus was saying that. It's not in your works. It's not in uh, being a good Pharisee or Sadducee, a good Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist. It's coming to Christ. Verse 65, And He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Life is in the Son and the Son alone. 
anyone that would add works to gaining salvation hasn't studied God's Word under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because to add works is to deny Christ and His Word. Now, that may be a strong statement for some. But whenever you go and you read Galatians, Paul referred to works as a means of salvation as another gospel. And such a person who preaches another gospel, he said in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, is to be cursed, is to be damned. Strong language. True language. Why? Because if you add anything else to Christ, you're denying and nullifying Christ as the source of life. Who do we come to for life? To Jesus Christ. Next question. Who comes to Christ? Jesus answered the question this way, John 6.37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So who is it that comes to Christ? Those whom the Father gives to Christ. They come to Christ. Jesus said in John 8 or 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The question continued. Who comes to Christ? Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learn from the Father comes to me. John 6.45 John 6.65 And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. It is only those that the Father gives to Christ that come to Christ. Next question. Who graciously and sovereignly overcomes the moral inability of the sinner enabling the sinner to come? The answer according to John 6 and Christ Himself is verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. It's the Holy Spirit who opens the heart, gives the new nature, and thus enables someone to come to Christ. The next or same question, another verse, elsewhere in John, who graciously and sovereignly overcomes the moral inability of the sinner, enabling the sinner to come? Notice what Jesus said in John 3, verses 5 through 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that, marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So, every, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Who graciously, again this question, and sovereignly overcomes the moral inability of the sinner enabling the sinner to come? 1 Peter says in 1.23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. Keep that verse in mind. Titus 3, 5 and 6. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. Remember our text back over here in John chapter 3? Go back there with me for a moment or... See it on the overhead. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You know, there's a lot of individuals that come to that text and they say, Aha, you need to be baptized in order to be saved. And they fail to understand some key things with regard to the Scripture and especially this particular text. Even here, the text emphasizes the work of the Spirit in this new birth. He goes on and he says, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And then he ends it in verse 8 with being born of the Spirit. Clearly the emphasis is on the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice a text right here in this same chapter Look with me to John chapter 3 and move down to verse 10. John 3.10. This is a verse, you're not seeing it on the overhead, but he says, as he's speaking to Nicodemus in this context, he said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? The question's somewhat rhetorical. In other words, Nicodemus, you're a teacher, the teacher of Israel. You should know what is in view here. Now, the only way Nicodemus would have known and should have known the answer to this would have been through the Old Testament. And how would he have known what Christ is talking about here? Well, whenever you go into the Old Testament, I'll give you the biblical references for this. Turn with me to Isaiah 33. Notice in these texts in the Old Testament, with reference to the Spirit, He is referred to often as, or in words similar to, water. 
Now, do you remember as we were over in Titus as well, and I know this is skipping around for you, but as Paul was writing to Titus in the text we read just a moment ago, he referred to the Holy Spirit in chapter 3, verse 5. by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit and His work spoken of in terms that are applicable to water. Also, another text I will give you, one that you're familiar with is Ephesians 1.13 In Him, that is Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This promise of the Holy Spirit started back in the Old Testament. Right here in the book of Isaiah. And you're at chapter 32. Move down to verse 15 with me. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field. Notice again, there is here a promise of the coming Holy Spirit, and it says that He is poured out. Look at chapter 44, and there to verse 3. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry land. I will pour out My Spirit on your offspring and My blessings on your descendants. Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Start with me in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Verse 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How is he going to do all of that? The answer is in the very next verse. 427, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and you will be careful to observe My ordinances. The Holy Spirit of promise. We are born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a sovereign work. It's not a work that he does contingent upon us doing something. But it is a work that He does contingent upon the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That those for whom Christ died, He gives life to. It's that simple. So, God's Holy Spirit in time births people into the kingdom of God. He uses the Word of God to do that. 
You've not been born of seed, Peter said, as we read earlier in 1 Peter, that is corruptible but incorruptible by the living Word of God. God, His Spirit, working with the Word, births us or gives us the new birth. Next question and last question. We'll pick this one up even a little more next week. How or by what means do they come? Whenever we're looking at this text, we obviously answered it's the Holy Spirit who gives life. What is our response? We come to Christ. When we have the new life, for the first time, we hear His voice. He knows us. We follow Him. God gives the Holy Spirit, we believe. In this sense, common belief are very similar. How or by what means do they come? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom, in Him whom He has sent. Now there's some cases in this context where come and believe are two different things, but at the same time they are very similar in places. But in short, how do we come to Christ in a very practical way? After God's Spirit has regenerated us and made us new, we believe. We believe. And it's very interesting at this particular point because John 6 and verse 29 that we just referred to, that word believe there in the Greek is in the present active tense. Present tense, to be more accurate, active voice. And what does that mean? It literally means that we keep on believing. For this is the work of God. Remember they asked Him the question in this context, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus responded, this is the work of God that you believe. And literally it is, keep on believing in whom He has sent. Yes, there is some point in time in our lives where we did not believe and then we start to believe in the sense that belief starts for the first time for us. And that begins whenever God's Spirit bursts us into His kingdom. But it's a work that constantly goes on in our lives. We are always, those who are Christians, believing in Christ. We're always believing in Him. We keep on believing. In short, this is a reference to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. They persevere because of the grace of God in them that enables them to continue to keep on believing. We could also say that the very first act of faith is coming to Christ. It is believing in Him. The first thing faith does is it believes in Jesus. I 
A faith that rests on something in addition to Christ or besides Christ has to be questioned as to whether or not it is real faith. Whether or not it is genuine faith. Because genuine faith finds no source of life but Jesus Christ. If you go and you look in John chapter 10, he even refers to that in the sense of saying, other, sheep, other shepherds, they will not follow. They won't do it. Why? Because those who possess true, genuine, biblical faith zero in on Jesus Christ. Now, I will submit to you that I think that a person who becomes a, a, a Christian can get confused at times because of errant teaching, but ultimately, whenever they learn the Word of God, they will see that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the author and perfecter of our faith, that He alone is the bread of life, and salvation is in no other. Continuing that, how or by what means do they come? Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Faith comes to Christ. Faith is in, biblical faith is in Christ alone. And it's continuous in the life of the believer. As a matter of fact, you remember in John chapter 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe, He said, in Me also. And just a little bit later, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. But that word in John 14, 1, translated believe, is also in the active voice. And it is, keep on believing. Keep on believing. How or by what means do they come? As we said, as Christ said, they believe. They believe in Christ. Our next question, can anyone else come? Can anyone else come? Anyone else besides those the Father is granted to Christ? What does he say? Verse 44, no one can come to me. That's an absolute statement. No one can come to me. No one covers everyone, doesn't it? Unless, so here's the exception to it. There's only one exception with regard to those who can come to Christ. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's pretty clean, clear, explicit language. 
No one can come to Christ unless the Father who sent him draws him. And some believe that this word draw needs to be translated in the sense of to entice someone or to woo them to come to Christ. It has the idea, though, in biblical terms of taking a hold of someone and bringing them. Like you would draw water up from a well, not woo the water up, as R.C. Sproul says. John 6.65 And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me. So he's repeating it. Unless it has been granted him from the Father. And you see that basically what he is doing is he's using the word granted and the word draw, or the text is here, as synonyms. No one's coming to Christ unless it's granted to them of the Father. Unless the Father who sent him draws the person. Any final questions before we close this evening over verses that we've already looked at here? Let me give you a hint for next week. What about the verses in this chapter that say or indicate anyone or all and other verses in the Bible that say whosoever will or whoever will? How do we interpret those? What does that mean? You're saying the Bible says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Well, what about all these other whosoever wills? Or whosoever believeth? Or whosoever shall call? How do those fit in? I'm simply going to always go back to the Bible and hear to Christ's words. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to the Son unless it has been granted him from the Father. So how do we do that? How do we understand the whosoever's of Scripture? Well, we'll pick that up next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that it is indeed living and powerful. Please bless us with wisdom and discernment and understanding it, applying it to our lives, and especially to living it in such a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.